We're looking at certain verses that are well-known, well-quoted, but oftentimes not so well understood. Many times, in fact, used out of context. And remember, when you take a verse out of context, it is a pretext for being deceived and destroyed. It's very important that we not only read the Bible, but we study the Bible. That we will know the truth of God's Word. Not what we feel, not what we think, not what somebody else has told us, but through our own reading, our own study, keeping everything in context. What is being said leading into the verse, what is being said going out of the verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, is a verse that is often quoted, or should I say, misquoted. <laughs> and maybe you can see exactly how that's done. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith, pierced themselves through, with many sorrows. Now many people leave out the love. They just say money is the root of all evil. But that's not what it says. The love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some have coveted after it, they have erred from the faith. And the consequence of that is they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We're going to be talking about money today. Money. Now before I tell you what the greatest Christian man who ever lived, Paul the Apostle, had to say to young Timothy, the pastor of First Baptist Church Ephesus, about money, I thought it might be interesting to hear what some other voices have said about money through the years. Mark Twain, who was a great humorist, he said the lack of money is the root of all evil. <laughs> the lack of money is the root of all evil. Elizabeth Taylor, an actress known for multiple husbands, she had something to say about money. She said, how can money be the root of all evil if shopping is the cure for all sadness? Benjamin Franklin, a philosopher, among many other things, said, Money talks. It says goodbye. <laughs> Jack Spires was a merchant, owned several stores in New York. And he said concerning money, English and French are spoken in my stores, but cash is understood. Andrew Carnegie, an investor, an inventor, he said, people with money seldom smile. Think about that. Millionaires seldom have a smile on their face. E.J. McKenzie, a great thinker, said, a fool and his money are easily parted. I understand that. But how did they even get together in the first place? I don't understand. A pastor you might know said this. Money is the root of all evil. 
So send me $100 to keep your temptations down. That was me. <laughs> P.O. Box 33, Ladson. <laughs> As we consider our verse, once again I remind you that while verses can stand alone, and many can't can, it's very important if we want to understand the true meaning of the verse, the depth of the meaning of the verse, that we understand what was being said leading into the verse and what is being said coming out of the verse. So if you have your Bibles, what we're going to do is we're going to begin to look at uh, some of these things leading in to our verse in verse 10. So if you have your Bible, let's keep it open now to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want us to begin with verse 6. What we're doing is, I'm leading you into the verse. We understand what was being said prior to verse 10. In verse 6, Paul writes to young Timothy, inspired by the Spirit of God, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Godliness that brings peace and tranquility and serenity, calmness to one's soul, is a great gain. The message of verse 6 is, faithful godliness should be the priority of our lives, not financial gain. Okay? Faithful godliness should be the priority and the goal of our lives, not financial gain. If you pursue godliness, you will find peace. If you pursue financial gain, you will find no peace. Holiness brings happiness. If you want to be happy, be holy. Choose God over gold. Choose Christ over cash. And you will find peace and joy in your soul. The, the, the interest in the dividend on godly living is far, 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 far greater than the interest in dividend you'll receive on money. You know how I know that? Because that's what Paul says. Look at verse 6. He says, Godliness with peace, godliness with calmness of the Spirit is a, help me out, great gain. He doesn't just say gain. He says great gain. That word grain, uh, great means huge. It means enormous. It means overwhelming. It means without the ability to fathom or comprehend it. If you want to have a peace that's beyond understanding, that can't be fathomed, that can't be understood, it's so huge, it's so enormous, it's so awesome, pursue godliness. Pursue godliness. 
Again, I go back to what Andrew Carnegie said. He said, people who are rich seldom smile. They're too worried about their money. How to make it, how to keep it, and how to keep everybody else from getting it. You know, a study was done on people who win the lottery or or sweepstakes. I know some of you think, I'm just one lotto ticket away to having it made. Just one sweepstakes away from all my cares being gone. May I say to you, no, you're not. (laughs) You know, a study was done of people who have won a lot of money through such things. Do you know that 70% of those who win millions upon millions of dollars through lottos or sweepstakes or other such means, do you know that 70% of them, 70% of them die early, die broke, and die miserable? Think about that. You think they would live longer, but they don't. You think they'd be happy, but they're not. You think they would enjoy it. No, what they thought was enjoyment became a a burden to them. So in verse 6, we learn quickly, faithful godliness is better than financial gain if you want peace of mind and peace of heart and peace of life. Verse 7, follow with me. The second thing Paul communicates to Pastor Timothy is understand we cannot take our money with us when we leave this life. That's a good place for an amen. He says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry out nothing. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. That word nothing means nothing. Aren't you glad you're here today? Because I know some of you are saying, well, I'll slip out with a nickel. No, you won't. I'll slip out with a dime. No, you won't. You came in with no money. You'll go out with no money. I've seen a lot of babies born. Some have been my own. I've never seen a baby come out of the mother's womb with a half dollar in his hand or a hundred dollar bill in her hand. You come into the world with nothing, you're going to go out of the world with nothing. You're not born with anything, and when you die, you won't have anything either. I've done a lot of funerals. Got one Monday night for Mr. Mel, a victory service, by the way. I've never seen a Brinks armored car follow a hearse. There's never been, in my estimation, any money taken out of the armored car, and dropped into the casket. You can't take it with you. Job said, naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Solomon said, no man shall take nothing with him from all of his labor. He will not carry anything with his hand. Alexander the Great, king of the world at age 33, before he drank himself to death, gave instructions that upon his death, when they put him in the casket, they were to put his hands outside the casket when they closed it. Unusual request. 
Have you ever been to a funeral where the hands have been outside the casket? His was. Why did he do that? Because he was trying to teach his people a message, a lesson. Though he was king of the world and had all the gold and silver any man would ever want, when he died, he couldn't take it with him. He came into the world with empty hands. He was going to leave the world with empty hands. Heard the story about a man who had a drawer full of money. Probably $50,000 in that drawer. That was his bank. Tens, twenties, fifties, one hundred stacked in there. And he told his wife, he said, Honey, if I die before you, I want you to take all this money out of the drawer. I want you to put it in my briefcase. I want you to go up and put it in the attic. And after my funeral's over, I will pick up that briefcase on my way to heaven. His wife did exactly as she was instructed. After the funeral, she rushed home. She went up to the attic, and lo and behold, the briefcase was still there. She paused a moment. She said, me oh my, maybe I should have put it in the basement. (laughs) If you go to heaven, you won't need it. And if you don't go to heaven, it'll get burned up wherever you're going. We can't take it with us. Verse 8. Paul says to Timothy, Be content with what you have. What a message for today's world. Be content with what you have. Verse 9. Having food and clothing... With these things you shall be content. That word content means peace, at peace with yourself. If you can't find peace and joy with what you have, listen to me, you won't find peace and joy with what you don't have. Peace and joy come from God. Nowhere else you can you get peace and joy. It comes from the Lord. It's a gift to his people who will trust and obey him. And many of us think we're going to find peace and joy by just getting another car, by just getting another house, by just getting another job, by just getting another boat, by just getting another spouse. Because the grass is always greener on the other side. You know that. But better be careful. It might not be grass. It might be weeds painted green. Be careful what you get. Be content with what you have. If you can't enjoy the Chevrolet in your driveway, you won't enjoy a Cadillac if you had it. Because as soon as you got the Cadillac, you'd say, I wish I had a BMW. (laughs) Be content with what you have. Proverbs says it's better to have just a little And have the fear of the Lord, a contentment with the Lord, than to have all the treasure and be troubled. J.D. Rockefeller was a multimillionaire. He was asked, how much money is enough? He said, one more dollar. See, he was a man who thought money would bring him peace and joy. It did. But Corrie ten Boom, she found the secret of it all. 
She said, I've held many things in my hands and I've lost every bit of it. But I'm happy in the Lord. <laughs> wow. You see, learn how to be happy with what you got. Then in verse 9, now you see how this is flowing together, folks? This is a, a leading up to verse 10. Verse 9. Money makes a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. Look what verse 9 says now. Follow your Bibles. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptations, into traps, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown them. Drown them in destruction and perdition. If money is your goal, if money is your glory, if money is your God, you will perish with it. The picture is a man swimming in the water. And he's carrying with him a bag of gold. And then he decides he wants another bag of gold. So now he has no hands, but he's still swimming through the water. He's doing scissor kicks with his legs, holding two pounds, two bags of gold. And then he sees another bag he wants. So he gets that. Instead of swimming now, he's what? And he goes under. He won't let go of his gold. And he drowns. You say, Pastor, that's a silly story. It's stupid. Nobody would do that. Oh, they wouldn't. Some of us are holding the gold of this world mighty tight. And we won't let it go. Even though we're going under with it. Money makes a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And when you make money your God, and you bend your head and bend your knee and worship at the shrine of the almighty dollar, you are going to be sorely disappointed what you get. What are you going to get? Depression, trouble, addictions, divorce, tragedy, and death. When you try to hold on to something you can't keep. You know, some of the eyewitnesses who, who survived the Titanic disaster, tragedy. Do you know some of them tell the stories of seeing people drowning? and the North Atlantic sinking into the deep, dark abyss of eternity. And what were they doing? They had jewelry boxes in one hand and cash in the other as they were sinking to death and who knows what else. Can you imagine that? Does that strike you as a high? Instead of trying to lessen the weight, instead of trying to swim to one of the life vessels that could have saved them, perhaps they're, they're holding on to their box of jewelry and their cash. And they're sinking to the bottom. Mount Vesuvius exploded many years ago. It was a volcano that erupted. It covered Pompeii, Italy, 
And do you know many of those that lived in the city of Pompeii when that volcano erupted and the molten ash began to spew out rapidly, swiftly? Do you know some of the people who could have escaped chose to go back to their houses and get their jewelry, their cash, their gold, their silver, and then make a dash for it? How do we know that? Because the molten ash... When it got to them, it solidified them as statues. And when you see the statues, you see some of them are carrying what would appear to be jewelry boxes or gold bunion bars. How sad it is to allow money to become a master to you and carry you where you don't want to go. Now, see, that's leading us up to verse 10. See, verse 10 doesn't stand alone. Paul's telling Timothy, if you want peace and joy, you've got to walk with Christ. Warn your people that money's not the answer. And then in verse 10, he says that the love of money is the first step to your destruction. You see, many of you thought the love of that money's the first step to your satisfaction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Here's the outline to destruction. Pastor, I'd like to destroy myself. I'm glad you do. Let me give you the outline. First of all, have a desire that's ungodly. The desire in this case is the love for money. Have a desire, a love for money in your heart. First step toward destroying yourself. Have a love for something other than the Lord Jesus. Have a love for money. That's the desire. Secondly, the depravity that will come. What is in a man's heart will eventually come out in what a man says and does. That's why Jesus said, clean up the heart. Because out of the heart comes the issues of life. What you say and do is just a reflection of who you are. What you say is what's in your heart. What you do is what's in your heart. And if in your heart there's a love for money, a desire to worship gold and silver instead of God and a Savior... If that's what your desire is, it's only a matter of time before it's going to become your depravity. He calls it the root of evil. Wicked desire brings forth depravity. And then it brings forth deception. Do you look, you see the verse? It says, some have strayed from the faith and their greediness. Once you decide you're going to worship another master, it's money. Once you go about your lifestyle of doing that, what you're going to be is deceived. You're going to believe, you're really going to believe the propaganda of the world that says money is all that matters. You don't have to be rich to love money. There's many poor people who love money and they'd sell their soul for it if they could get it. They just haven't had the opportunity. 
So don't sit out here and say, well, I'm poor, so he's not preaching to me. I'm preaching to you too. Love of money here becomes a depraved lifestyle of trying to get that money. That leads to a deception that takes you away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it leads to your destruction. The desire leads to depravity. The depravity leads to deception. The deception leads to destruction. Notice he says many sorrows. Verse 10, many sorrows. You know what that word sorrow means? Interesting word. It means a self-inflicted wound that kills you. Your own love for money becomes the sword that will stab you and take you out. Wow. Financial suicide. Now, do you see how all that works together? It, it ends with a warning. Don't allow money to be your God. Don't you worship money. Don't make it your purpose. Don't make it your goal in life. Because if you do, you'll have a troubled life, a tragic death, and a terrible hell waiting you. That's what he says. Now, remember, you not only want to read what's in front of the verse, but also what? What's behind the verse. Because Paul's going to pick it up a little bit as we close by giving a charge to Timothy and those who he will speak to about this. Look at verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world. That word charge is a military word. It means to give a command to them. A command of warning. So Paul is stressing to Timothy, this is important. This, this dealing with money is important. Because it's more than just an earthly matter, it's an eternal matter. It's more than just a matter about you, it's a matter about other people. Because what we do in this life affects other people right? You're not an island. You can't say and do certain things and think your children and grandchildren and your family and friends aren't going to pick it up. They watch. Children don't learn with their ears. They learn with their eyes. And that's why many of us struggle with what's happened to our children. It's because they watched and they didn't listen to us. So what's the charge as we close in verses 17 through 19 that Paul gives to Timothy to give to those that are rich or those who aspire to be rich. Verse 17 he says first of all don't be prideful with what you got. You see the word high minded in verse 17? That means to be arrogant. It means to strut around proud of what you got. You ever heard somebody brag about what they got? Kind of nauseating, isn't it? Why do you hang around people who do that? Because you want what they got too. Don't become prideful about what you have because it came from the Lord. And He expects you to acknowledge that and what you do with it. But before we become too prideful about what we have, let, let me frame a question for you. You don't have to answer it. You can answer it later with somebody. Do you want to know how wealthy you are? 
What do you have right now in your possessions? Okay? What do you have right now in your portfolio that money can't buy and death can't take away? Answer that question, and I'll tell you how wealthy you are. I'll tell you how wealthy I am. What do you have right now that you call valuable, well, that money can't buy it, and death can't take it away? You think about that, and then you won't be so prideful. Secondly, verse 17, don't trust in riches. Don't be arrogant about your riches, but don't trust in those riches because he says in verse 17, they're uncertain riches. You know what that word uncertain means? It means you can't count on it. If I drew you a picture of what he's saying, it would be a man who has a little bird in his hand. And he walks around with that little bird and brags. Look at this little bird I got. He's always with me. See, he, me and him, we're tight. I'll always have this little bird. And then one day, that little bird, you're so tight with you, you'll always have. Guess what he does? And he never comes back. That's the picture. You got your gold and silver. You got your $100 bills. You got this. You got that. You're tight with it. It ain't never going to leave you. One day it will. It'll fly away. And it'll chirp. Bye-bye. <laughs> Don't trust in riches because you can't keep them. Don't be prideful about what you got because you can't keep it either. Thirdly, what should you do? Trust in the Lord, he says in verse 17. You see that? Trust in the Lord. Notice he says, trust in the living God. I wonder why he put living there. Am I the only one who asks questions like that? Why didn't he just put God? Because gold is dead. It's something that's dead. He says, why would you worship and give your life for something that is dead when you can have someone that's living? That's a good question. Why would you worship something that's dead, gold, when you can have someone that's living and can give you his life, whose name is Christ Jesus? Verse 18, he says, if you've been blessed with wealth, you've been blessed with wealth, then give your money to help others. Don't squeeze old Abe so tight that you wrinkle his beard. You know, we have cameras when we do the pass out the collection plates. Some of you hold on to that money. why it takes so long to pass the plate sometimes. <laughs> Give your money to help others. Notice he says, rich in good works. Somebody has said, money is like manure. If you stack it up high, it stinks. But if you scatter it all out, it produces fruit. Don't stack your money at a house. Distribute it. Spread it out. Be a blessing to other people. 
Verse 18, he says, be generous in what you distribute to other people. Ready to distribute, verse 18, willing to communicate. Don't be a tightwad. Don't be a penny pincher. Be a generous giver. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. He loves a generous giver. I'm going to let you in on a financial secret. This is not commonly known, but as your pastor, I'm giving it to you. Because I love you. I want you to be successful. Here it is. The more you give to the Lord, the more the Lord will give to you. As you're giving it to the Lord out the front door, He'll give you more the back door. That's just a little tidbit. Our world says if you want to have, keep. Jesus says if you want to have, give. Just give. You know, sometimes people ask, and I think they mean well, Pastor, should I, should I give off my gross or my net? Pastor, should I, should I give what I make in retirement? After all, it's already been recycled once. <laughs> Pastor, should I give off my income tax refund? After all, it's already been hit once. Pastor, should I tithe? It's tithing for me. Let me say this, and I say this kindly. If you have to ask all those kind of questions, you already have a problem you need to deal with. It's worrying about... How much should God get? God doesn't care about how much you give Him. He really is more concerned about how much you have left. The people that I have found that God blesses financially are people who just give. They don't keep a record. They don't keep a tally. They don't try to dot their I's and loop their L's and cross their T's. They just give. They have a plan to do it, and they just do it. And then he says in verse 19, and we're through, invest in eternity with whatever you do. When you give your money to help people, when you give it generously, make sure you're giving it for eternal reasons. Look at verse 19. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on what? Eternal life. He's not only speaking of those who give, laying up something for themselves in heaven, because God keeps records, by the way, but he's also talking about when you invest in people's lives, give them something that's eternal. That's what this is all about, ladies and gentlemen. Have you ever wondered why we do this? Why do we get rid of about $160,000 a year? You heard me right. Why do we give that money away to all of these ministries plus others that span the globe around this world. Why do we do this? Because we are making an investment in eternal souls. And one day, the people that come to know Jesus from this ministries are going to say thank you to us. I've often wondered what it's like the first day in heaven. I wonder what it's going to be like for Mr. Mel right now. We know that Jesus will meet him. In fact, Jesus will come get him and take him to be with him. We know that his family and friends who have died in the Lord will be there waiting on him. 
But I wonder if there'll be others too waiting on Mr. Mel, waiting on you and I. I wonder if, as Ray Bolt sang, though he's not walking with the Lord, his song was powerful. Thank you. One by one they came as far as the eye could see. Each one somehow touched by, I paraphrase, my generosity. I wonder who will be waiting on me, who will be waiting on you when we land on heaven's shore. Will there be people from Africa there? Will there be people from India there? Will there be people from Western Europe there, Eastern Europe? Will there be people from aborted babies whose lives were saved because we involved ourselves in the Low Country Crisis Pregnancy Center? Look at these banners. Because you give, we can give. And wonder if some of those people won't be in heaven and come up and say, listen, I'm not your brother or sister. You don't know who I am. But let me tell you, you gave to missions and I'm here. Wow. When you give, invest in eternity. Don't just throw your money away on nonsense. Invest in people's lives. Invest generously in people's lives. Invest in their eternal souls. So money's not evil in and of itself, is it? It's how you obtain it. It's how you spend it. It's how you use it. It's how you leave it that determines its righteousness or its wickedness. The love of money is the root of all evil. Don't you be guilty of coveting after it. Because if you do, you will be like many who have come before you. You will err from the faith. And you will pierce yourself through with many arrows of sorrow. Heads are bowed and eyes are bowed.